I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Hello, and happy Halloween. You're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. In this episode, we're going to tell you about and do some debunking on a few spooky listener stories. We want to thank you for sending us these stories. We're so excited to share them. Before we get to today's topic, though, we're asking listeners to do us another favor by leaving a rating and a review in the Apple Podcasts app. It only takes a few seconds to send a five-star rating from our page in the app, and it helps us a ton. We also want to plug some guest appearances that we've done recently. Both Megan and I appeared on the Radio Wasteland show that should be out soon. Megan was also recently a guest on Max and Cassie's new podcast, You Might Love This, to talk about her love of volcanoes and geochemistry. If you want to hear more from us after you finish this episode, you should definitely go check those out. You may have noticed the new outro at the very end of our last episode, so it's now time to officially announce that we joined the Straight Up Strange Network. They have a really great lineup of spooky, historical, and sciencey shows, so we're very happy to be included. But now it is time for something spooky. So, Paige, did anything spooky happen to you in the last two weeks? No, nothing really spooky other than uh, I've been rewatching some scary movies lately just to get me in the Halloween spirit and... Last night, uh, we watched the one of the Paranormal Activity movies again, and there's just something about those movies that every time I watch them, they totally freak me out. So I spent like several hours every time I'd hear a sound like flipping around, making sure nobody was standing behind me. <laughs> um, but <laughs> other than that, no, nothing really spooky. Not in the last two weeks. Uh, what about you? Did anything spooky happen to you? So... Nothing spooky happened to me. So, you know, sort of disappointing leading up to Halloween. So I've decided that this will just be like Megan's confessional time. <laughs> so this one goes out to Kenny because he said that he <laughs> particularly loved that we just said random things. <laughs> so one, well, because I'm like carrying around a 25 pound toddler a lot. Um, my chronic back problems have really been flaring up. So that's super fun. Oh, I'm no. Apparently just an old lady. Yes. So like one of the things that has brought me great joy lately is watching videos of chiropractors like adjusting people's backs and they crack a ton. <laughs> that's that's what you do now is just sit around and watch the chiropractor crack people's backs yeah no okay okay well you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna poo-poo on me really it's that i like somehow ended up on like a string of like tiktok videos of like <laughs> chiropractors doing adjustments i thought you were gonna say somehow that you started at dr pimple popper and then i was gonna give you a bunch of shit because this sounds like the same thing to me I mean, sort of. It's, I don't think it's like quite as gross as, as right. that. But yeah. Yeah. But it is like people getting their backs cracked. And so I just like to, I just, I, I was just like, oh, that would feel so good right now. 
And does it make your back feel better or worse? I don't know. I'm like, I've always been very skeptical of chiropractors. I've never been to one. I've always kind of heard that like, you know, they're not really doctors and stuff like that. But I think there are like some that are more qualified than others in terms of spine health. I don't know. But for now, for now, that is my, um, that's my guilty pleasure. And then the other thing is, and this is also like Megan's confessional time, is that I know that it is almost Halloween and I'm very excited uh, for it and to dress up in our costumes and carve pumpkins and all that stuff. But like seeing all of the snowstorms and stuff out west is really, really sort of getting me excited for Christmas time. (laughs) (laughs) We're not there yet. I know. I sort of feel like I'm like cheating on Halloween because I'm like, oh. That reminds me of something very important, which Megan already knows, um, but the listeners don't, that by the time this episode releases, I will officially have a Halloween tattoo on my body. So if that's not coming That is true. <laughs> very exciting. I know. I am. I'm very excited about that for you. Because I don't get mine until... Like November, right? Like Thanksgiving. It's not yeah, too far. But more like a couple days before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it'll come up quick. But like you're getting yours just in time for Halloween. And that's pretty That's pretty awesome. I'm excited. All right. So we're going to do listener stories, which is very <laughs> exciting. So these are, again, stories that were sent to us. And we specified ones where either it was like people thought that something was spooky going on, but then there was sort of like an everyday explanation or they were interested in us trying to debunk them, which like, who knows if we'll have any intelligent thoughts, but we're going to find out. So (laughs) Paige, do you want to do the first one? (laughs) Yes. Um, So the first one that we'll do does have an explanation. Um, And this one is from our friend Kenny Biddle. So thank you, Kenny. And I will go ahead and read you what he wrote to us. So Kenny says, I went to a private home many years ago where the homeowner claimed they could hear voices in the dining room. It happened almost every day where they distinctly heard voices within the room. They were always a male, but not always the same male. The homeowner mentioned the voice telling her to bring things to other places, though she didn't know what the places were. She heard names of different people and on several occasions heard, it's time to go home. Naturally, I spent most of my visit in the dining room and I did hear the voices. It honestly did sound like it was in the room with me. So before I get any further, I want to ask, um, and I don't know, Megan, I'm, I think we both read all of these stories. So you may already know the answer to this. Um, but when you had gotten this far in his story, like, did you have any thoughts on like what it was going to be? I like didn't read any of them in advance. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I just read, yeah, like I just read one. Um, so for me, this is going to be me mostly like blind reacting to all of these okay based on that she's in a home she hears voices in the room always male i guess i would think that it's like she's hearing a neighbor somehow or she's in an apartment and she's like hearing stuff through the vents or something 
Okay. And that's similar to what I thought, which like isn't too far off. Um, So then Kenny goes on to say, however, it had a distinct tone that made it sound slightly like a speakerphone. I noted a window was open and I looked outside. Across a field was a construction site, new homes. Hanging out the window, I could hear someone speaking over a loudspeaker. I ducked back into the room and then I heard the voices start again and shut the window. The voice was cut off. Opened it. The voice returned. To verify, I drove over to the site and spoke with the foreman. He agreed to say, hey, Kenny Biddle, if you can hear this, it's not a ghost. It's just Jim. Standing in the dining room with the homeowner, we all heard it. Jim agreed to move the loudspeaker and the voice has disappeared forever. Shazam. (laughs) Shazam. (laughs) So Kenny actually said in three stories and we picked one of them because we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do more of these in the future. Um, So we're just saving the other ones for now. So we have time for additional listener stories. But yeah, because my initial reaction to that is I just like I can't I I can't imagine myself like immediately thinking at least enough to like call somebody else to come to the phone or come to the phone, come to the house that it was a ghost in my house, like without investigating what was going on around my house or like outside of my house you know at the very least shutting a window and seeing like does the sound get quieter right (laughs) no i agree (laughs) yeah well especially if you had a a window open yeah it's like you'd walk around and see like are there any windows open like am i just hearing people outside like (laughs) so i thought that one was pretty funny um and it actually it reminded me of a story that my mom has told me about my grandma who apparently was like very concerned that her car was speaking to her and (laughs) it was absolutely just her radio that was no she just had it on like super quiet or something i think so i think so (laughs) (laughs) so that reminded me of this it made me it made me giggle that's an amazing story yeah (laughs) i mean here's the take home if you think that somebody is saying things inside your house like there are logical explanations for what it could be (laughs) you know did it say that the voice was always male but not always the same male correct names of different people and it's time to go home didn't she hear like wouldn't they be saying construction things sometimes and she might i mean i would imagine so all right well it's a good one, though. It is a good one. It's a good one. It's a good <laughs> lesson to, like, maybe use a little common sense. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she had, like, other reasons that she thought there were ghosts and she was too embarrassed to talk about it. So she used this one. I don't know. I got nothing. I just can't. Like you said, yeah. I can't imagine just immediately calling someone and being like, oh, God, there's somebody in my house without first stepping outside and seeing if I can hear it out there as well right anyway sorry to this lady if she's listening right now we're not trying to be rude <laughs> i sort of doubt it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and i'm sure kenny did a much better job of being diplomatic and saying um ma'am it's just construction workers <laughs> <laughs> right we would not be the right people to like go in and try to make these people feel better <laughs> no uh okay moron 
Yeah. Although I always like, I always, you know, I talk a big game. Like I'm such a butthole on this podcast, but I'm like, I'm not. I'm a people pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) I am not so much. Okay. So our next story comes to us from JD, um, who is a friend of Kenny Biddle's. And I think he recommended that he submit this story. So he says, my story happened years ago when I was in middle school. I was really big into the occult and demonology and heavy metal music like Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne. One night I woke up in the middle of the dark or in the middle of the night to see a dark, shadowy figure standing at the foot of my bed. It scared the shit out of me, understandably, but I couldn't move or couldn't scream. This would be the first of several times throughout my life that I can recall having night terrors and sleep paralysis, but at the time, I didn't know that's what it was and was convinced that it was a demon. Later, the more involved I got in the occult, the less demons appeared, and I learned more about things like sleep paralysis and concluded that it most likely was not a demonic presence. Coincidentally, there's a story by Geezer Butler of Black Sabbath, which is almost identical to my own, and I suspect sort of primed my own experience. According to Geezer, he was heavy into the occult and drugs and was given a book on demonology by Ozzy. One night, Geezer went to bed, only to awake seeing a dark, shadowy figure at the foot of his bed. Geezer blamed the book, although not interestingly (laughs) enough, the drugs, (laughs) and took to carrying around a cross and taking it easy on the occult. He also claimed that the book mysteriously vanished the next day, but who knows? So, yeah. I mean, that's anytime anybody says, I saw a dark shadow in my room at night. I'm like, okay, so you had sleep paralysis. Right. Which, as we've talked about, I think on our Boogeyman episode, and I think we've talked about it a couple times since, is one of the scarier things that exist. <laughs> like, I don't know. I yes. think sleep paralysis <laughs> is scarier than most of the things we've discussed so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's it's like surprisingly common. And I, yeah, it's just like I've never had it happen. And I hope that I never do because it sounds terrible (laughs) and like I can totally see why somebody experiencing that would think like this is some like evil presence or a spirit or demon in my room because like people report that they feel like feelings of dread and stuff so no thank you (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like sure that if you're you know if you're on you know, some sort of drug or whatever that it might make it more likely that you experience it because it's messing with your brain. Right. So, no thank you. (laughs) No thank you. I don't want any of that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So that would be, I mean, that would be really scary. But again, if it happens to you, just know that it's not real. It's just your brain is playing catch up a little and you're sort of like stuck partway between dream world and awake world. 
Okay, so our next story is from Macy, and she's one of the hosts from the What Lurks in the Dark, a true crime podcast. And she is a critical care registered nurse in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who has worked, um, she says, in the pits of the COVID ICU. And unfortunately, Louisiana was hit, she says, even harder than a lot of other areas in the country. So it sounds like they've been pretty busy. Um, So I will read the story that she sent us. So Macy says, so I'm working on the COVID ICU unit. In the beginning, people were dying alone because their families were not allowed in the hospital. At the time, there was just so much that we didn't know about the disease and we were very limited to PPE. Now that we know more about the disease process, we are able to allow families to visit with our patients, especially those who are at or near their end of their life. She also states that she wants to be on the record saying, fuck COVID, uh, as do I. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she says, one shift, things were crazy, chaotic, busy with multiple critically critical of all the critical COVID patients. And we had <laughs> and we had many who were basically waiting their turn to come up to the ICU from ER or other units in the hospital. Basically, she says everybody was having a bad day that day. So it was a super busy time. She says, my coworker had a patient who was declared brain dead and had to be taken off of the ventilator and life support. My friend took her tubes and lines out, but could not stay with her because she had to check on her other critical patient. ICU nursing and healthcare rule number one is that nobody dies alone. So I walked in since I had a second and held her hand and told her that her family loves her and that she can go now. Yes, I know that she was brain dead, but I always speak to my patients and I just know in my heart that they hear me in these situations. I said a prayer and had to leave quicker than I wanted to because I had to do something for my critical patient. About 15 minutes later, I saw that she had had a flat line indicating that her heart had stopped and there were no more electrical impulses in the heart. The alarms started to go off, so I went in to turn off the monitor so they would stop. But when I got about two or three feet from her bed, the lines on her monitor started to get all wavy and squiggly. No, she did not come back to life. It wasn't a rhythm that would support life. And this is not uncommon, believe it or not, for the heart to quiver slightly after death due to final synapses in the myocardial fibers. But this was different. My coworker was outside of the room and saw the same thing. So I stepped back about five feet away. Immediately, the lines went flat. Then I stepped three feet by the bed on the other side and the same squiggly wavy line started again. I didn't have my cell phone. No electronics or smartwatch was on, so there was nothing to interfere with the monitor. The only electrical equipment that was in the room at the time was the monitor. Everything else, vents, dialysis, etc., was off completely, and the patient didn't have any belongings with her because they were given to her family. I repeated this five times, and the same thing happened each time. I'd walk out and let another nurse walk in, and nothing. Multiple nurses saw this and were stumped. They said, Macy, it's every time you walk in that room. I've been a nurse for four years, and I've been in the ICU all of my career. My friend and I were talking, and we came up with some theories. I went Zach Bagan's mode and was convinced that the patient's spirit was standing by her body, and me walking in that path disrupted something, and maybe she recognized me somehow since I was there during her final moments. Or... Maybe the cardiac monitor was picking up on energy, but then why would it only pick up on mine? Again, 
no electrical anything was on my person, and I was wearing basic scrubs with no metal at all. So what do you think about this? Because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I don't have a ton of intelligent thoughts <laughs> about this. No. So I've read this. This is the one that I did read in advance because I knew we were going to have to do some debunking on it. And I like wanted to have intelligent things to say. And I suppose given more time, I might have reached out to some other people to like, I don't know, see what they had to say or like somebody who's an expert on how that technology works, um, like how the ca cardiac monitor technology works. So I guess top of my head, I'm like suspicious that it's not just a coincidence. Like, yes, it happened every time that she came in. But it's like, were they just like, was it happening other times? And they like were just particularly paying attention to when she walked in the room because it had happened the one time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It had been happening like prior to her even walking in. Right. Like it happened. Like they saw it happen when she walked into the room and then like paid particular attention every time she walked in, but like weren't necessarily looking at that the other time that they were in the room so maybe it happened other random times but it just like sort of seemed like that was the way it was because like the, the you know the sample or whatever was biased mm -hmm. by when they were paying attention one thing that i had thought is that like she mentioned several times that like nobody had any electronics on them and she had no metal on her but there's no discussion in this about like did this woman have like a pacemaker or like I don't know, a steel rod in her back. Like, I don't know if that would even affect it. Maybe it oh. wouldn't. Um, but like she seems to mention several times that there's not electronics. So like I would imagine that that probably would have some sort of effect on it. I mean, it would. I just don't know how it would affect it. Right. And so I wonder if like maybe there was something internally that isn't mentioned in this story. Yes. Or that maybe sort she of like, just like happens to... Yeah, like happens yeah. to happen when she's in the room, but that's more just like a coincidence. Right, right. Well, yeah, so mine was sort of, my other thought was sort of on the same lines as that was she doesn't have, you know, a cell phone or electronics or or a smartwatch or anything like that. But again, somebody else in the room could have had one and could have just been coincidence that it was affecting the body or affecting the monitor as they were, you know, doing whatever they needed to do. I also had like a really obscure thought <laughs> that, so like we work with super sensitive scales in our lab. And if you like wear particularly fuzzy wool socks, for example, like you build up more of a static charge on your body and it'll like make the scale drift more when you sit down to use it or like even like standing too close or too far away like you can affect it so what I wonder is if there was like something like you know if there was some sort of energy like static energy built up on her mm. body that was like that was affecting like why she was the only one affecting the monitor gotcha yeah but 
that seems a little bit like I, I don't know i don't even know yet how that would work oh i have no fucking idea but, but. that <laughs> sounds like a good idea like that could potentially be a thing yeah, but like I don't know if they'd be affected by like static or if in like a room like that, you know, you'd be able to have enough to to do it. But it is mm. like I mean that's a that's a tricky story. Like yeah. I would be so interested to hear what other people think because I am not clear that I have a good reason to explain it. And I guess in the very like I don't know, diplomatic skeptic sense. It's like that doesn't mean that I think that something paranormal is going on because, yeah, like it just means I think that there's, you know, there's something at play interfering with the machine or going on with the body or going on with like, you know, the the observations that were made that we just don't know about. Yeah, well, and I I don't feel confidently enough in my my very minimal knowledge of how heart monitors work and how, I mean, for that matter, death works to even be able to put together a truly intelligent thought about this. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the little reading that I, I did to try to, to try to debunk it didn't get me very far. So yeah. um, if any listeners have any thoughts though, that would be great. Let us know. Right. Like if any listeners have yeah, thoughts about or like or, you know, if you know more about that type of equipment and like what might cause it to malfunction in that way, definitely reach out and let us know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So these next stories were actually recorded and submitted to us by fellow members of our new network, which is straight up strange uh, to remind you. But this is the guys from the Hollow Sky podcast, and they also have a spooky themed podcast. And we are going to play them one at a time and then... We'll talk about them afterwards. So, Paige, I'm going to start with Stephen's personal experience. So let me know once you're done listening to that. Hi, everyone. This is Stephen from the Hollow Sky Podcast, and I'm here to share a story with you. It doesn't necessarily involve me personally, but I was kind of involved in the outskirts of it. So that being said... This happened when I was younger, living in my parents' house. It was me, my mom and dad, and my little brother and sister. My dad was an over-the-road trucker, so he was gone quite a bit. So most of the time, it was just my mother and me and my two younger siblings. So one night, my mom gets us all ready for bed, and she turns in for the night. She has what she thinks is a dream, right? So in this dream, she wakes up. And she sees all of these bright lights shining into the windows of our house. Like, it's almost as if someone had pulled a car into our front yard and were just shining their high beams directly into the window of the house. This kind of terrifies her. So she gets up to check on all of us kids. I'm in my bedroom. 
My younger sister's in her bedroom. She goes to check on my youngest brother, and he's not in his bed. This kind of terrifies her. So she starts looking around the house, and as she gets to our like laundry room, our pantry, which has a door that opens to the backyard, she sees my little brother Dylan, and he is opening the door to go into the backyard. As he opens it, there's this huge like beam of light that comes in, and he goes to step out, and she wakes up. So naturally, she's terrified. She wakes up, and she thinks it's a dream, As she wakes up from this dream, she looks to the foot of her bed and there is a small figure standing at the foot of her bed. And as she kind of makes eye contact with it, I guess, it notices that she's awake and it sprints out of her room. At that point, she wakes up again, almost as if she thought it was a dream within a dream. So as she wakes up again, she's kind of freaked out. She gets up, checks, checks on all of us. We're all fine. Everybody's in their beds and everything. She goes back to sleep. So she wakes up the next day and her and our neighbor, there's kind of a kitty corner across our backyard. They were out talking. They go for walks and they talk to each other while they hang clothes on the laundry and every are on the laundry line and everything like that. So as they're talking, our neighbor's like, what did you have going on last night? And my mom's like, nothing. You know, why, why do you ask? And she says, about 2.30, 3 o'clock, me and my husband got in a little argument, so I slept in the boys' room, which their window faces your house. She says at about 2.30 to 3, the whole bedroom lit up, like you guys were having some kind of huge party over there. She's like, I don't know what was going on, but it was crazy. So that's pretty much where it ends. Kind of weird, kind of a odd coincidence, coincidence, however you want to say it. But there are some other things that happened in the house. I live in this house now that kind of go hand in hand with this experience. But if you guys want to know it, hop on over to the Hollow Sky podcast and check us out. You can find us on all major podcatchers. So stay weird. What the fuck? (laughs) That is, that's like a very scary story. Right. And admittedly, I listened to it. Um, like when they first sent it and like, I don't know, must just not have been paying enough attention because I, I just like didn't catch the end part, which is probably the most important part of the whole story. Um, <laughs> oh, but like the neighbor yeah, or whatever saying yeah. that the room lit up. Cause like everything else, I feel like I could just say like, Oh, you know, it was probably just a dream. Like I've had weird dreams like that before. Um, but yeah, the neighbor saying that the, the room or the lights were on or whatever, the room lit up, like, it sounds like some alien abduction shit, you know? Yeah. I feel like, I don't even know where to start with this. I don't know. Like the, okay. So like the first, like you said, the first story or the first part of the story where she's like, oh, it was like a, you know, I woke up and thought I saw your little brother going outside and then saw the person in the room who like ran out when she saw them. Oh my God. Um, that I could chalk up to like, yeah, some sort of like weird sleep paralysis kind of thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, sure. That I can explain away. But yeah, the neighbor. Though, okay, hold on. I have some thoughts now. 
you want okay so now that i'm saying it out loud i like maybe have thoughts so okay the neighbor saying that she saw like a bunch of lights on and stuff going on like did the mom what did she sleepwalk or something like did she sleepwalk and like turn on a bunch of lights in her bedroom and the neighbor happened to see it at that time I had that thought, but then I also had the thought that, like, he says that she wakes up at some point and, like, checks on everybody. Oh, sure. Sure. So, like, maybe the neighbor just saw, yeah, like, just saw the lights going on and off as she was, like, checking through the house and stuff and then asked about it. And the mom thought, like, oh, you were talking about that part of the dream but like really she was just talking about seeing the lights going on and off because she was checking on people right like I feel like it could go either way like it's totally possible that like maybe she was sleepwalking and in her dream there was this like light this beaming light because like maybe she was turning a light on or something Right. Um, but also maybe she was just checking yeah, on like may- Yeah, maybe it's just like it's sort of an innocent misunderstanding. Like the neighbor was referring to seeing lights go on and off as she's checking the house. Yeah. And really it was like, yeah, that she- and she associated it with like, oh, I, you know, thought you were talking about the lights in your dream or whatever. Yeah. And she said bright light, but it's like, well, it's the middle of the night and right. like it's going to look things might look brighter than they would, you know, when it's not pitch black outside or like right. when you're, you know, expecting it. Okay. That's what I'm sticking to. That's a solid skeptical theory about the story. But I'm also very curious about the other stories about the house. So we'll have to listen to more Hollow Sky. <laughs> yeah. So that was Steven's story. Now we are going to listen to Kyle's personal experience and we're going to see if we can figure out an explanation for it. Hey guys, this is Kyle from the Hollow Sky Podcast. And my creepy story is kind of on the lines of what Steve submitted. But there was an experience where I had my girlfriend staying with me, who's now my wife. But at the time, she was just my girlfriend. And at about, I don't know, oh, two o'clock in the morning or so, she wakes me up. And says, Kyle, I think there's somebody outside. And I'm like, what do you mean you think there's somebody outside? Why do you think that? She said, because there's lights that keep coming in the window. And I'm, you know, so I get up. I go looking out the window. I don't see anything out there at all. But I notice off in the distance that there is a bright orange ball in the middle of the all-black sky. And... It definitely wasn't the moon because I could visibly see that the object was moving from left to right in my field of view, therefore ruling out it being the moon. And she decided to press me on what it could be because she got up to look at it as well. And I gave her some half excuse saying that it was probably from a bonfire lighting onto a cloud or something. And she was, she started to rationalize that. And I'm like, you know what? We're not going to talk about this tonight. We're going to go to sleep. So that's what we ended up doing. And we talked about it further in the morning. But the weird thing, aside from the experience itself, is that I can remember when I was a kid, I would probably have been in my teens, and I used to have dreams about lights coming in the very same window 
and looking for me. I never had an experience where I actually woke up and saw things out the window, but I remember lights coming through the window in some of my dreams. So there's a little bit of correlation there. But that pretty much sums up my personal experience. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Have a good one. Stay weird. This one I feel like I have more immediate thoughts about what could be going on. What do you think about it? So I feel like I have explanations maybe for like every kind of like every little piece of the story. So I want to start at the end where he mentions that um, he he had had like similar dreams, which like is Mm -hmm. kind of weird. Um, Like it's definitely strange when someone has like a similar dream to you wait did he say though that his girlfriend had a dream about the lights or that she i thought she actually saw them i thought she had said that she had a dream and then when she woke up she saw them did i make that up am i combining the two stories i thought i think you're combining the two stories hold on let me listen to the beginning of it again to check me too (laughs) i had a good (laughs) i was gonna say i didn't think she she had a dream she just she woke him up and then i think the spooky thing was that like he had had dreams in the past that these lights were like shining in his window or like were outside his window and then she wakes him up and is like hey there's weird lights out there so it's like well maybe they weren't just dreams or whatever you know yeah yeah i got you i was can i think i was mixing the last two stories together yes um (laughs) though like i i still stand by the fact that like it's totally possible that that it's just coincidence sure i mean sure sure. yeah like that you just happen to have dreams that you know that kind of like turn into i guess a a reality for someone else but um so with the orange thing in the sky Mm -hmm. i immediately thought of those like um those lanterns that people light that was literally my exact thought (laughs) and i don't know i mean he said bonfire and i kind of immediately went there like yeah i don't think that's too far off Um, yeah so i definitely thought of that like yeah those lanterns that people light and then they let them float up mm -hmm. like those can look i've seen those float in the sky before and like they can be kind of weird i also thought because it sounded like he said that it was he told her oh it's like a bonfire reflecting off of the sky so to me or reflecting off of a cloud so to me i was like oh is it more like like just a light not like a solid object that you're seeing that is lit up in which case i would think like there's some sort of spotlight or something Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, maybe there's, you know, an airfield or whatever, and there's just, like, a an orangey spotlight that is shining up in the sky. But I guess you'd have to know more about, like, the area that they were in. Sure. So, yes. And with respect to the dream thing, uh, yeah, like, it sounded like he, he had been having these dreams before or had, like, lived in this house for a while. So, yeah. I don't know. I think I probably agree with you that, like, it's likely just a coincidence (laughs) or that he had like you know I guess unwittingly sort of half woken up and seen them and then went back to sleep and just chalked it up to a dream I don't know yeah it's still weird though it is weird um and then like I think she said she said something about lights coming in the window right in the beginning yes yeah either she said they were coming in the window or like yeah she said that that yeah she woke him up because there were like lights coming in the window which like 
I mean, that could be, I think, a mul- multiple things, right? Like he mentioned a bonfire. So, like, if there's a lot of people out there, uh, it could mm-hmm. just be cars leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be, you know, your spotlight theory. Maybe she just saw some sort of, like, reflection of that coming through. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, like, so what I don't want <laughs> is for this to come off as, like, oh, like, you know, people are just idiots and you don't realize that it's like this very common, you know, this very common thing or whatever. But I mean, I know from, you know, it being the middle of the night, you're a little bit disoriented because you're sleepy. Like you just might not be a hundred percent, you know, seeing everything that's there, like processing everything that's happening. So it'd be so easy to miss details of like oh this is just like some unusual car traffic because there's some event happening like that would be a totally plausible explanation like let's say they live somewhere where there's like some sort of big event that regularly happens near their house where they have like one of those big spotlight things and then like there's a bunch of traffic or something leaving it and so every time that happens it lets out late at night and there's like a bunch of car traffic making it you know, look like there's light shining in the house, but it's just the lights from, you know, cars passing by. And this is hard too, right? Because it's like, it's one of those things where if that is the case, you get up, you look out the window, like they're already gone. (laughs) Right. Like when you look, there's nothing there to see. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's not like someone's standing there with a flashlight and you just like ignoring it and being like, oh, something else was going on. Like once you look like it's gone, um, that's just right. kind of where my head goes, I guess, because I've I've had like I've been woken up before because of lights being shown through the window. And then like I get up and it's like somebody across the street who's like started their car and didn't turn their brights off and they're just like shining into the <laughs> into the window at night. So right. Um, right. Well, or even like my own story about <laughs> thinking I was about to be abducted at my aunt and uncle's house. Like, I remember seeing the light, you know, sort of, like, pass in front of the house and then go way out into the cornfield and shine back. And it's, like, in my mind, in my memory, like, thinking about it passing in front of the house, like, that seemed very normal, like, you know, a spotlight attached to some sort of, to, like, a helicopter and then I do I do remember like when it flew out over the cornfield thinking that it happened like unnaturally fast. But also it was very late at night and I was like right. half asleep when this woke me up. So yeah. So I guess I would question like are my observational powers like 100% you know? Right. Huh. It's an interesting story though. Like yeah. That's a... That's an interesting one. And I guess it would be the sort of thing where it's like, I don't know, what what could you do to like try and to try and like debunk that in the future? You could maybe keep like one of those dream journal things by the side of your bed. Like if you wake up and you think you've like had another one of these dreams, like just write down whatever details you can remember in the time and then just like try to see if anything, you know, if there's anything common between the nights that you have them right or like some you know normal explanation that could be associated with them yeah I don't know but yeah it's yeah it's all these things all these things tend to happen like oh it was you know 
like the sleep like jd's sleep paralysis story it's like there's so many of them that happen where it's like oh it was the middle of the night and i got woken up by blah 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 and it's like well you know <laughs> there are times where i wake up in the middle of the night and i don't remember where i am so like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i just think it's you know it's easy to to scare yourself a little bit i guess all righty well that wraps up our Halloween listener stories for this year. But remember not to leave after our wrap up if you want to listen to this episode, Short and Spooky, which includes a super creepy famous serial killer encounter story, which I am very excited about. <laughs> Tune in next time for our special Thanksgiving episode. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod. Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters and our, at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. And with that, it's time for our short and spooky. Yay! Okay, so this is a story that was told to me by a friend about his uncle. And so a few details his uncle, and we're going to call him John for this story, um, but he grew up in inner city Milwaukee, and he's an African-American man. So that will be relevant once we get to the story. So it goes, when he was pretty young, John and his friend had a job at a local donut shop in downtown Milwaukee. They were the youngest employees there and often worked behind the counter, checked people out, and cleaned the store, sweeping and cleaning counters. One day while at work, a customer came in to purchase a few things and asked John and his friend if they'd like to make some extra money. Considering the two of them grew up in a rough neighborhood and did not have much money in their families, they took the man up on his offer. The man instructed them to meet him at his apartment a few blocks away after they were done with work for the day. John and his friend did just that. When they arrived at the man's apartment, John and his friend were instructed to go into the man's bedroom. This was the first thing that made John feel hesitant. Shortly after that, he noticed that the man locked the front door behind them. This was the second thing that made John hesitant and uneasy about the situation. After a few minutes of the man trying to convince the boys to go into his room, John decided this didn't feel right and instructed his friend they should leave. Thankfully, they were able to unlock the door and leave the apartment without much resistance. For years, John thought it was just a random occurrence and thought nothing of the situation until one night, watching the news, Jeffrey Dahmer's face popped up on the screen and was wanted by the police for murder. And I guess he he clarifies that he didn't really recall didn't recall if this was like just when he was wanted or if he had like just been arrested. But regardless, he says when John saw his face, he instantly recognized Dahmer as the man who invited him and his friend to his apartment and was shocked. Luckily, he's safe to this day and nothing happened, but what could have been scary. <laughs> so I would like to say that this is, uh, I have heard this story. This is not the first time I've heard it. This is the second, maybe the third time. And I still have mm -hmm. chills. 
I know. It's so (laughs) scary. Like, yeah. So for people, I mean, I think most people listening to podcasts in this, this category have probably listened to true crime ones and, you know, are familiar with Jeffrey Dahmer or like, obviously he's like a very famous serial killer. (laughs) But yeah, but he, like his, I think all of his victims were young African-American males. So it's like, this was very much like he was potentially gonna murder them so jesus christ (laughs) so crazy (laughs) yes so heard this story and like just was like oh my gosh we have to figure out a way to tell it on the podcast um which i know we are a um more like a paranormal themed podcast not a true crime one but i wanted to definitely make it Uh, a little bit more scientific. So what I thought about when I heard this story was, you know, that John gets this feeling that like just something isn't right. And he tells his friend like we need to leave and they they leave the apartment. And like luckily, you know, Dahmer doesn't doesn't give them too much resistance in terms of getting out of there. But this got me feeling, got me thinking about the science behind gut feelings or like the science behind people's intuition because I feel like I've heard a lot of stories where people have come out of a bad situation and like you know they say like oh like I I or they had like a close brush with a person like this and it's like they just say that they had this this sense that like something was not right and so they got out of there so I looked into it some and First off, I just wanted to mention that I came across um, a couple of stories uh, based on studies that had been done, done, like literally evaluating the neurological connection between your brain and like your actual gut, like your (laughs) intestinal tract. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because there's actually a large amount of serotonin receptors in your intestinal tract. So it's like why SSRIs, like, Zoloft, which are given to people to treat, you know, conditions in their brain like depression and anxiety, sometimes they can have intestinal side effects because your body has to like, your intestines have to adjust to like having the additional serotonin. So that's kind of crazy and a little bit of an aside. Okay. The next article that I came across is a Psychology Today article called when should you trust your gut? Here's what the science says. And this is by Al Pitampali. Okay, so I'm going to start with a quote from this article. So he says, humans are constantly scanning their environment, trying to detect familiar situations. Just the other day, walking down the street in midtown Manhattan, I glimpsed a tall man far off in the distance, facing me, smiling and waving. I didn't recognize the person, but there was something about the situation, a subtle feeling of danger that I did recognize. The recognition triggered a rapid analysis without me even being aware. And so basically like he, you know, he says that like he feels a little bit like a subtle feeling of danger or whatever. And I think it's more like he thinks that this is a person who's like selling something or trying to get him to like sign some sort of petition. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. Falls why I like 100% relate to that feeling because it's like as much as I support causes that people are out there, you know, getting the word out, it's like I'll see 
people out in the street like trying to raise money for stuff or whatever and it's like no don't just email me like I don't I don't want to talk to you about this (laughs) it like activates my fight or flight (laughs) um okay but what it all comes down to though is that you know he has this sense of like intuition like just seeing this person and like the way that they're behaving like gives him this sense like oh this is an interaction that I don't want to have that I want to avoid or it's like a gut feeling right that he like wants to avoid this so um first he notes that like we do a few things when we come across I guess a new situation so your brain's gonna look at relevant cues which means like you have this this intuitive sense of like what to focus on in a new situation or what the important details are, um, what he calls relevant cues. Um, you have some sense of like expectations, like what do you expect to happen out of the situation? You have these plausible goals, what do we want to happen? And then of course you come up with typical actions. So like you have this like intuitive sense of here's what I should do in this situation. So then where does this intuition come from? So our brains, which we've talked about before, right, with things like um, pareidolia, where, you know, your brain is like trying to make things out of trying to, to basically create patterns or create data where there is none, because your brain is really good at identifying and assessing patterns. Um, And like it can be even like an unconscious thing. So it's like the more practice you've had at something, the better you're going to be at like having some intuitive sense of what the right thing to do is. So the example that he gives is if you've got like a professional poker player they're going to have like a very strong sense of intuition in terms of like, oh, I've got a winning hand, even though it's technically a game of chance because they have enough experience. They've gone through enough trial and error to be able to recognize the set of patterns that would be associated with like the cards that they're, they have being a winning hand. And the other thing at play with intuition and like having this this you know sense of this gut feeling is that you're present in what's called a high validity environment so an environment that has sufficient regularity so you can assess the nature of the situation and it can be predicted so for example he gives the example of a firefighter like is going to have an intuitive sense of when a building's about to collapse or when a building is going to collapse because they have, you know, they know the signs that are associated with that. And that's going to obviously contribute more to like your sense of intuition being correct. So great. Basically it all comes down to like your brain just wants to like either consciously or subconsciously You're always like drawing on past experiences. You're drawing on what you know, and your brain is trying to put together patterns to like tell you what to do in a situation. Well, and in his 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 story up at the beginning, where he's walking down the street, it's not very common that people are like looking and smiling and waving at you when you don't know them. 
Like you're just expecting everybody to just kind of like mind their own business. Oh, right. Yeah. Like you see somebody like that, you're not going to be like, oh, great. This complete stranger is like. <laughs> right. <laughs> like something about that feels me. off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I read another article that was from Live Science and it was called The Science of Intuition, How to Measure Hunches and Gut Feelings by Carrie Nirenberg. I'll start with a quote. I'm probably going to use a lot of quotes because there's some good ones from this one. But uh, it says that intuition is a popular topic in psychology these days and generally refers to a brain process that gives people the ability to make decisions without the use of analytical reasoning. So again, you just have like a gut feeling like you intuitively know like what the right decision is in in some situation. Okay. So, uh, researchers actually came up with an experiment to measure people's intuition. And in this case, they define that intuition as the influence of non-conscious emotional information provided by the body or the brain, such, such as an instinctual feeling or a sensation. So the experiment that they conducted, they took a groups of college students and showed them black and white images of dots that were moving around on half of a computer screen. And the students were asked to make a decision as to whether the dots were generally moving towards the left or to the right. And as this was going on, so this is going on one half of the screen, on the other side of the computer screen, they displayed a bright flashing square of color, but every once in a while, they would stick in um, or embed an image that was meant to trigger some sort of emotional response. So like basically it's a subliminal image, like very briefly, but too fast for their brains to actually like consciously register and interpret it. They'd put in either something that elicited a positive emotion, like a picture of a puppy or a baby, or they would put in something that elicited a negative emotion, like a gun or a snake. But again, the participants didn't know that they were showing these shown these images because they were like being flashed too quickly for them to actually consciously note that they were there. Okay. So the subliminal images though, like the purpose of them was basically like they're supposed to stimulate or simulate the, um, and this is another quote, the type of information involved in intuition. So they were brief, emotionally charged, and subconsciously perceived. Um, and when students saw the positive images, what they found is that they actually performed better at determining the direction that the dots were moving. They were quicker and more confident in the in giving their answers in terms of the direction that they were moving. And these experiments also seem to suggest that people improved at using that intuitive sense over time, like as it was reinforced. So importantly, 
again, what this all comes down to is like this idea that whether or not you're aware of it, your brain is processing, constantly processing information and finding patterns in things around you to inform your decisions. And like in the case of like um, our friend's uncle, like give him very real information, like whatever cues he was picking up from like the door being locked, like being asked to go in the bedroom, like consciously or subconsciously, like he was reading something happening in that situation that made him feel like, okay, I need to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Um, And so that sort of brings me to like Megan's safety PSA. So like, (laughs) first of all, (laughs) like that, I mean, the, the research that they did is super cool to basically like to mimic you know, that sense of of intuition and like fool people's brains into being like, oh, this is a positive situation. Like, I feel good about this. I can, you know, make the right decision and I feel confident about it and everything. But and like they, you know, seeing the positive image, like, yeah, like makes them just, I don't know, just gives them a better sense of like a better feeling about the decision that they're making. But like, I for sure have heard stories and I'm sure you have as well where it's like like I mentioned before people just feel like they've met like a serial killer or something like that or they've had a close call and they've they just knew that like something was wrong um or they just had this intuitive sense that something was wrong and they got out of there and so safety PSA is like and I think this is especially true for like for women and stuff where you're taught like to not, you know, to not be rude to people and to be polite and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, if something doesn't feel right to you or you feel unsafe, like, just get the fuck out of there. Don't worry about being rude. You can leave. Right. <laughs> you know, like, just right. get out of a situation because it's okay to, like, to trust your gut. On the flip side of this, I read a third article which was another Psychology Today article called Dangerous Instincts, Should You Trust Your Gut by Mary Ellen O'Toole. So this is sort of on the flip side. So this article points out that if you're in a dangerous situation, this idea of, you know, oh, I can trust my gut to like let me know that I'm in a dangerous situation can end up being harmful. So it's like she just wants to stress, you know, there is no like mystical or magic or like, you know, 100% correct sense that somebody is bad or evil because, yeah, like you have to have some sort of information for your brain to process to tell you that. And if you're having a bad feeling about the situation you're in, Again, it's your brain interpreting patterns and information around you, but like it's not always going to be 100% accurate. So like you can get into a bad situation and, you know, you feel like everything's okay. You're like, oh, whatever. I trust my gut. I'm fine. But obviously bad things still happen to people. And it's like they had a gut feeling that somebody, the people that say they had a gut feeling that someone was bad or they intuitively, you know, felt like there was some sort of warning from their brain about a situation they were in. 
it's like their brain was at least subconsciously picking up on recognizable clues or warnings. And there are plenty of things that can like inhibit your decision making or your judgment. So like if you're under the influence of drugs or alcohol or like, again, you have like some social expectation that you need to be polite, like those things are going to inhibit your sense of like, oh, I can just trust my gut and it'll be fine. Like you, your gut might be wrong basically. So basically, if you have a bad gut feeling, get the fuck out. But if you don't, that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a good situation. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Trust your gut when it tells you bad things. Don't trust your gut when it tells you good things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Here's where we've ended up. It's on a very pessimistic note (laughs) 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 yeah i i don't know i just i just felt like you know i don't want to put out this message of like oh your gut always knows because it's like sure it does but like you still you know you still have to have some sort of clues or like something to pull on right like ted bundy like had a wife and a kid and stuff like that. So it's like, you know. If this person is really good at faking that they're kind and that they're, I mean, not going to kill you, then you have no indicator for your brain to go off of that this person is going to do something bad. Like your brain just thinks like, oh, this is just another person. Right. Don't just like blindly, you know, do whatever. Be safe. Just, just. Just be safe. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, folks. Happy Halloween. Stay spooky. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.